0: About 80 years ago, in 1938, the world had just experienced one world war and they had come through a Great Depression and was on the verge of another world war. And in the midst of all that darkness and suffering, uh, the bloodiest century of all time, in the middle of all that, people were looking for... (laughs) a way out. People were looking for a bright point. People were looking for a hero. Two men came together, uh, one named uh, Joe Siegel and the other uh, John Schuster. Siegel and Schuster, two friends, created Superman. And at first, Superman's abilities were, were kind of tame compared to what they became. He could uh, outrun a locomotive. He could leap Tall buildings in a single bound, but as the decades progressed, he began to uh, develop other abilities and eventually he did what's known today as jumping the shark. <laughs> Have you heard this term jumping the shark you know, back in the happy days uh, times when uh when uh, that that show was going, Fonzie jumped over all of these uh, these uh, these cars that were parked, and then they had to outdo themselves the next season. So then he jumps on water skis over a shark. Okay, and so uh, then everyone was saying, you know, stick a stick a fork in Happy Days because it's done, right? And so the idea of jumping the shark uh, came uh, came within the last uh, just you know, decade or so, and it just refers to the idea that. You've, uh, you, you've pushed your story too far. And that's what happened to Superman. Superman uh, took on so many different uh, abilities, and, and almost, he could do absolutely anything. I mean, his powers became virtually infinite, and as a result, he became rather dull, there's an old uh, Latin term, uh du ex machina? And the idea is that if a story or if there's something wrong with a character or something wrong with a storyline or if there's a p- problem, that uh, that all of a sudden it just magically gets fixed, right? That kind of a hero is difficult to r- relate to. That kind of a hero does not ring true to us. And so uh, the, the superhero series... Uh, all of these superheroes that, that we're used to, like like Batman and Superman and Spider-Man and all those, Wonder Woman, they were reinvented in the 80s with, uh, with more complexity and, and more uh, of an understanding of where their abilities came from and also some weaknesses like kryptonite and their different kinds of things that happened to Superman because of different kinds of kryptonite. And then they were reinvented even further. When, uh, when the movie Batman Begins came out, the backstory, the real backstory of Batman comes out. And you see these, uh, these dark colors painted into his character. And increasingly, increasingly, there is a, a depth of insight about Human nature and about the ways that we deal with human nature and what 's needed to deal with human nature, and the the, the people that try to fix what 's wrong with human nature, and we see the complexity of these characters and we we become more resonant with them and they they begin to ring a little bit more true well it 's very much like what most of our experience is with Old Testament characters. When we're young, we learn about the, the, their, all their gleaming virtue and they swoop in to save the day. And then when you get older, that, that, that your Sunday school teachers that left out certain parts because it was too awkward to talk about what David did with Bathsheba when you're young. You begin to see the complexity of these, of these Old Testament figures. And you see... That, that they begin to confront us in the fatal flaw that every one of us has, and that is to make ourselves the hero of our own story. Because the more you dig into these Old Testament figures, the more you realize that each one of them teaches us Something brings us wisdom, surrounds us with wisdom in the places not where they were heroic but in the places where they pointed beyond themselves see scripture doesn't hide all of these chinks in the armor of these Old Testament figures Noah was a drunk Jacob lied uh, Abraham, who we're going to look at in just a minute Uh, did all kinds of, of manipulative things to make life work out for himself. We already mentioned David. These Old Testament figures have dark sides to them, just as we all do. But what they do time and time again is not lift themselves up as the hero of the story, but they point beyond themselves. They show that when they are weak, yet we are strong. Their stories, their narratives time and again, point to a greater hero and a bigger narrative, an arcing narrative that goes over all of human history. And so this summer, we're going to be looking uh, at, at these Old Testament figures to see how they point beyond themselves to the big picture, to the bigger hero of the story. And to bring us wisdom In their complexity, bringing their complexity to bear upon our complexity, the chaos that we have in our lives, the way that they speak order as we find wisdom in the counsel of many through these Old Testament figures. Abraham uh, was the father of nations as the, the story goes, right? Father Abraham had many sons, right? and get all the body parts moving. And Abraham was just like one of those complex figures. And in Genesis 15, we begin to see the warts and all picture of Abraham and the way he points beyond his own competence to his confidence, his trust in God. Trust made all the difference, even in the midst of life's painful circumstances. From the word of God, Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram, said, and, and Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be uh, my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and the number of stars, if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. He believed. He trusted. That's what the word means. He trusted. And it was counted to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? See, even after he believed, Abraham believed the Lord. And then he goes and he falters. How shall I know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a half for three years old and a female goat three years old and a ram three years old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought them all these and cut them in half and laid them each uh, over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. When the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. The sun was going down, and a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation, and they will serve. They will serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you... "'You shall go down to your fathers in peace. "'You shall be buried in a good old, as a good old age, "'and they shall come back in the fourth generation, "'for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. "'When the sun had gone down, and it was dark, "'behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch "'passed between the pieces. "'And on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, "'saying, to your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephraim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. After all those ites, let's pray. Holy God, how we thank you for your ancient words spoken into modern life, help us to connect with it. Believe it, not only in our minds that we may understand, but in our hearts that we may believe and live it out through our hands. In Jesus' name, amen. When a child falls down, it's kind of interesting you're going know, to think I'm sadistic here, but it's kind of interesting to watch a parent's reaction, right? When a child falls down, scrapes his knee, hurts himself, it's interesting to watch a parent's reaction. When it's a first child, what does a parent do? When the first child, the parent goes, <gasps> right? And, and reacts until the parent learns that the child often gets his, her cue from the parent. And after a while, a parent begins to know and learn that even in those difficult, painful moments, a parent can lead a child to be bigger than those circumstances. A parent can speak into a child's hurt, even in the midst of that pain, and can, and can remind the child, can, can bring a presence can bring a word and a presence to that child in that situation that can help the child not dwell on the pain, but see life as, as bigger. And sometimes a, a child will go either way. You can see the lips start to quiver a little bit, and the parent says, oh, yeah, that, yeah you did great. I can't believe you bounced really well off, off the ground like that. And the child can kind of shake it off a little bit and, and, and move on. You know, there's a little something going on like this in the story of Abram. Abram, before he's, he's even called Abraham, which means the father of nations. There's a little something like that going on in the midst of Abram's difficult circumstances. God is speaking into Abram. In the midst of his hurt and pain, he's speaking life. And he's using, he's showing Abram, that, Abram that, that that his trust, his trust can help him see past his circumstances in a couple of different ways. Two different ways that trust helps us in the midst of our hurt. Two different ways that trust, it's sort of mysterious what trust does in our lives, but there are two different ways that we can see trust at work. First, trust helps us embrace what God does indeed promise and turn away from what he doesn't promise. Did you get that? Now, that trust helps us embrace the actual promises of God and to turn from those things that, that we think he promised, but he didn't actually promise. Sometimes we think, where do these false promises come from? Sometimes we think that, that God needs a little help from us, right? Something difficult is going on and you're a believer and you have to sort of candy it up, right? It's like everybody knows that you're dealing with this difficulty and you put a certain sort of spin on it, like God won't put on us more than we can handle. Show me in the Bible where it says that. It doesn't. You're not going to find it in there. God won't put on you more than you can handle. Ask a mother of triplets that, all right? I mean, God will put on you more than you can handle on occasion. I mean, for example, if, if you are an island, if you're an independent person, don't you think that God would engineer your circumstances to need people? Isn't it compassionate if if you are are isolating yourself for God to use your circumstances to drive you into other people's lives? Of course, he's going to put on you more than you can handle. If those circumstances will lead you to engage with the people around you that that you're called to be a part of. Uh, Everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. I... No, there's no explanation for these gnats. Absolutely no explanation for South Georgia gnats. There's no reason. Seriously. Sometimes we we sort of have this as a coping mechanism, as if somehow God needed help. He doesn't need help. He doesn't need our help to explain away what's going on. He's calling us sometimes simply... To trust Him, let me read to you uh, a uh, little quotation from Peter Scazzaro in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. When we deny our pain, losses, and feelings year after year, we become less and less human. Let that sink in. When we deny our pain year after year, we become less and less human. We transform slowly into empty shells with smiley faces painted on them. Sad to say that that is the fruit of much of our discipleship in some churches. But when I began to allow myself to feel a wider range of emotions, including sadness, depression, fear, and anger, a revolution in my spirituality was unleashed. I soon realized that a failure to appreciate the biblical place of feeling within our larger Christian lives has done extensive damage, keeping free people in Christ in slavery. Abram, this Genesis 15 covenant story is wedged between. Genesis 12, 13, and Genesis 16. And in each of those chapters, you can see Abram giving God a little bit of help. He's he's looking at his life and thinking that he needs to help God with things that God didn't necessarily promise him. And so he's dwelling upon certain promises that are keeping him stuck in his disappointment. It's a little like, like that silly story when the guy has lost his keys and someone comes along and says, what are you looking for? And he says, uh, well, I, I lost my keys. And, uh, and he says, well, where did you last see them? He said, well, I last saw them over there by the corner of the building. And he said, well, what are you doing over here by the steps? And he said, well, the light is much better over here. Sometimes I think that's that's the way we are in our faith. We think we're clinging to these false promises because somehow they've they've helped us to cope, but they kind of keep us stuck in in a hurt because we're we're not willing to admit the difficulty. Abram, Abram, time and again, he trusts God and it's reckoned to him as righteousness. And yet the very next moment he questions again. Abram trusted God. He looked at the stars and said, I'm, I'm trusting in you, Lord, that, that you're going to be faithful to your promise. And then the next, almost the next verse, he says, but how will I know, right? And, then, uh, a, a, and this is all about him having an heir. Right now, his heir is, is Eliezer of, of his, his household, his chief, uh, the head of his household, his, his head servant. And this is who he was going to leave his, all of his inheritance to. And he's, and he's saying, no, no, God is saying to Abram, no, you're going to have a child from, from, from your own flesh and blood. And then what happens in Genesis 16? He doesn't trust him enough. doesn't trust him enough. And so, uh, so I- instead of, of looking to Sarah and his wife and considering that, that she would be the mother uh, of his his firstborn child, he looks to Hagar, who is her maid servant, and so is born Ishmael. and And so, then, uh, then, 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 then he comes back again. God comes back again and presses him, and and to to be faithful and to be trusting. You see what it, what it's like. Let's go back to this child illustration of a child falling down. Now, now picture the child moving towards you, and and the child uh, is taking. It, it, her first steps. It's an incredible moment for a parent. A child pushes up and begins to take first steps and stumbles a little bit, right? What does a parent do? Does a parent say, I can't believe you stumbled. <laughs> it's terrible. Learn how to walk, will you? And what's the matter with you? And I think that's that's the way we think God responds to us when we Teetering forward, trust him. Now, what does a parent do when a child takes the first steps? Even those stumbling, awkward steps. It's like, yes, great job. That's fantastic. I- I'm telling you, this is, this is the personal level on which God responds to our teetering steps of trust. Abram believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. See, trust helps us turn from those things that God doesn't promise to the things that he does promise. And even in those fledgling steps of trust, God celebrates us and begins to encourage us in the direction of the real and true promises, the things that he actually has promised to us and to let go of those things, to admit the hurt and to let go of those things that are covering up those past mistakes and those past wounds. Second way that that trust helps us move past our hurt is that that trust helps us turn from our own power to a bigger power that we don't even understand. Trust takes us uh, from false promises to true promises Trust also takes us from false power to truer, greater, deeper, more sublime power. Even a power that we can't understand or measure. In, in the scriptures, there's this huge tension in the covenant that God makes with humanity. And it, and it, puts, us, it, it puts us teetering between law and love, okay, So the covenant is a covenant of law and a covenant of love. And it puts us in between those two things in a way that keeps us sort of off balance, a little bit off balance. Scripture doesn't resolve the tension between God's law or our call to obedience and God's love or our call to grace. And so we don't like this. We don't like being in this place where we have to trust. We don't like it. We want to reduce it down to one side or another. And so we either become obedient moralists, right? And and, and constantly legalizing everything. And as a result, sowing seeds of judgment about ourselves and everybody else. Or we become relativists, we don't like being in the tension between law and love, so we reduce it down to one side or another. God must mean that actually, no, no, we're responsible for our own salvation. We must do something. There must be some merit here, and so uh, my effort must have something to do with my salvation. You see, that's w- what it means to become a moralist or a legalist, or, or we reduce it down to the other side, and that's this is more common today is... Is 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 to become a relativist and to explain things away and just say you know, uh, you know the, the the Bible was written a long time ago and some of these things that 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 Bible calls uh, sin they just you know we, we we can sort of explain them away and 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 it's an ancient thing and, and so we shouldn't be beholding to that and so we become relativists and we we start to uh, to, to to move away from those constraints that actually bring life and health. And joy and peace and community, and we see a breakdown. We're seeing a breakdown of our ability to be a covenant people in the United States. People who who under, are, are a people of laws, but also a people who have great a great sense of grace and love. And people are in different places. But the church and and we as Christians are called to be in that place where we're trusting that God is at work in a place where we can't fully understand it. It's mysterious. Relativism or moralism. But see, if we're willing to stay in that place, in that tension between law and love, if we're willing to live in that mystery, to trust... In, in God and those things that we don't fully understand, and yet to go ahead and, and, and to try to take those steps of obedience. If we continue to say, Lord, I still need you even though I'm making some progress, if we continue to stay in that place of where trust is required because there's mystery. Are you with me? If we continue to stay in that place where we have to trust because we don't have it all figured out, there's a power that enters in to your life, to take you past where you are to where he wants you to be. This is the most difficult thing to talk about in Scripture. Why? Because it is mysterious. I haven't found anything more difficult to explain than, than what I'm trying to explain right now. What I'm trying to do is use these images between you know, being a legalist and being a, a relativist and saying, it's neither. It's, neither. It, it's sort of this awkward place of in-between law and love. And, and to tell you that in that place, when we trust, in that place, that there is a power that, that is available to you in those places where you feel stuck. Let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. Uh, around the same time that Superman was created, around that same time, in 1938, uh, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous was also created. And two, two, two friends, again, two friends, uh, one named Bill, one named Bob. Of course, I'm not going to give you their last names because that's part of the... I'm just kidding. That's, that's a very subtle joke. Hi, I'm Bob. Hi, I'm Bill. These two friends created Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12-step program. And the first, the first step is to say that there's a problem that's too big for us. And the second step is to say that there's a power that is bigger than us. Now, here's the thing. You hear people say, I I've been an alcoholic, or I'm an alcoholic, but I'm 40 years sober. Now, wouldn't you say to them, 40 years? I mean, what, you're you're what, you're 60 or you're 50. And uh, let's just say it's a 60 year old and when he was twenty, he discovered he has an alcoholism, and so for forty years has been uh, sober for forty years. You think, "Well, you've been sober twice as long as, as you were an alcoholic. C- shouldn't you move on? I mean, you still call yourself an alcoholic, shouldn't you Isn't it time that you move on? You see, but it's the very... It's the very place of vulnerability, you see? He's in between law and love at that point. He's standing between what he's doing with his effort and the ability to to live beyond, to to live beyond the the, the stuck place of being an alcoholic. Are you following me? He's living in that in-between. He's continuing to say, I still identify as an alcoholic. And so as a result... There is a power that's available to him. And we, we know we, many of you in this room probably know somebody just like this. And they haven't, they they have a predisposition to their genes, they, they, they cannot handle alcohol. And as a result, they they uh, they binge drink or they, they do things that 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 take life into chaos. And yet Forty years later, they still say, I am an alcoholic. And as a result, they have moved past alcoholism. And yet, in their own mind, they haven't. You see that both and, the the strange mystery of that? This is a practical illustration of what God is doing in the midst of Genesis 15. It's to put us in a place of mystery. You see, what happens is, only God passes between those pieces God is the one who moves between those pieces. God is saying, you are are called to be an obedient people. But I alone am going to pass between the pieces. It's, It's kind of like saying, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Whatever happens, whether you disobey or I disobey, Whoever passes through those pieces has to deal with the circumstances or has to deal with the consequences. And God alone passed through those pieces. What does that tell you? That tells you that even if Abram fails, God will be the one to deal with the consequences of his failure. And so to put himself in that place where Abram puts himself is to put himself looking beyond his own heroism, to a hero that is to come. Consider in your life today as we come to this table, where are you trusting in your own ingenuity, your own answers, false promises, your own power? Where do you need God, even in the mystery? To be powerful in your life Where do you need to release The old promises And the old coping mechanisms And take the risk of trust Let's pray together Gracious God our Heavenly Father and We thank you for this Simple outward expression Of your love for us In this cup And in this bread And we thank you Lord that it represents the fulfillment of what you promised in your covenants thousands of years ago, that even while we were yet sinners, you would pass between the pieces and Christ would die in our place. Lord, we pray your blessing upon this meal that as we receive this cup and this bread, we may experience a magnificent exchange of our sin for your righteousness in Jesus name. Amen. Today I invite you to come forward, row by row, to receive by intention the bread of life and the cup of the new covenant in Jesus shed blood. You'll receive one of these wafers, you'll dip it into the cup and then you'll receive it. And what that's saying is is that you are receiving by trust that God is present in your life and that his power is powerful in and through you. And so I invite you, even as Jesus did long ago on the night that he was betrayed, to take and eat the bread that was broken for you. Take and drink the cup that was poured out for you. Please come by way of the center aisle. That means if you're on the wings, you'll go to the back. You'll come through... Uh, this center aisle and then return to your seats by the side aisle if you profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ you are invited to this table so come